welcome to League One Fun. We're presented by the Beautiful Game Network and brought to you by Roughneck Scarves. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. I'm Ira Jersey with the final show from the United Soccer Coaches Convention down in Baltimore in early January. In this episode, I talked to four individuals. First, Joel Nash, the vice president of USL League Two and Super Y, and where that league fits within the U.S. soccer landscape and its relationship with USL League One. Then Travis Clark comes on the show from Top Drawer Soccer. He talks about what it's like to go from the uh, high school ranks to the college ranks and then on to potentially USL League One and the professional scene. Then we do two separate interviews with the duo from the Total Soccer Show, Taylor Rockwell first. He talks about his experience early on in his childhood with the Richmond Kickers and how that may have influenced his love of soccer. And then Daryl Grove. We discover that Daryl and I went to the same university, and then we talk about his path to get not only to the United States, but how he got involved with soccer and eventually the Total Soccer Show. Here's me speaking with... Joel Nash, Travis Clark, Taylor Rockwell, and Daryl Grove. Enjoy. Welcome back to League One Fun. I'm here with Joel Nash, who is the USL League Two Vice President. Vice President, is that the right title? Director? Like, Somehow. I don't know. Do, yep. do everything for USL League Two? Is that <laughs> we all get to wear doing? plenty of hats, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to be on. This is a fun environment. So how did you end up being in charge of League Two within the whole USL structure? Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, I'm actually coming up on five years with, with USL. I was given the opportunity to join the company um, or you know, the, the enterprise, the league, league, uh, even if we have quite a few leagues, plural, but, uh, through my former, uh, college coach, Mike Jacobs, who now is the, uh, the, the GM or, or, uh, VP of soccer ops for Nashville SC, the, the future MLS team. So, uh, I got involved with league two pretty early on where I was able to work primarily on the expansion front, which, again served me well in in the role and hat I get to wear now because in the end you better know quite a bit of the ins and outs of the league Um, you also get a wonderful uh, outward looking or outward facing um, perspective on on what people actually think of the league right you know we we as uh, a league office you know like to think we know what we want in the league and what our teams want but when you start to uh, work with possible ownership, then uh, they're very quick to tell you what they think they want in the league or what they're trying to get out of it. So it helped uh, help catalyze into uh, now serving on, on the leadership and running the league uh, as we talk today. And how many teams, so, so USL League Two is primarily U23 league, college player you know, driven, although you can have a certain number of overage players on it as well. But uh, how many teams do you expect in the league this coming season in 2020? Yeah, we are uh, extremely excited about that. Um, we actually are um, going to end up with a historic number of 82 teams uh, going into um, this 2020 season. That's a, a full 10 additional teams in the 72 we had in in, uh, in this past 2019 season. So we're, we're extremely excited. And to be honest, that is completely down to uh, the you know, the ability of our teams to, um, which I'm sure we'll, you know, get into some nuts and bolts of it, but just the sustainability of our teams. Um, we've got wonderful, I think everybody's seeing, and, and we've here at a wonderful, uh, another wonderful coaches convention, but 
Um, there, there's a lot of great people looking to get into the game at all levels, and uh, we're definitely seeing the fruits of that at League Two. Yeah, one of the advantages of being at the United Soccer Coaches Convention is just walking by. There was, um, you know, I think the only USL League Two team in Tennessee was walking by and said, you know, hey, I own a team, and I, you know, wound up striking up a conversation for 20 minutes. So that was uh, really fun. Um, talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, the part of this expansion. Will it maybe be independent USL League One teams starting more USL League Two teams? I mean, similar to the Dalton Red Wolves, which have a relationship with Chattanooga Red Wolves. And, of course, uh, Tormenta FC was uh, Tormenta FC in the USL League Two before it became the uh, League One side. Yeah, no, absolutely. And they still have, obviously, the League Two teams as well. For sure, for sure. The, um, you know, and, and the, the ownerships of the professional League One teams wholly own, and, and obviously they have unique staffs uh, specific, both on the technical side and even, which I can get into, some of the cool benefits on the front office side that, that operate the League Two team. But, um, you know, I, I think anytime we're starting a new league, which is obviously the inaugural season of League One was, was last year, you know, the, the sole focus from a league standpoint is we have, you know, an infrastructure that we want to support the first team or the ownership of the pro team to focus on that first team. What, what's really unique and, and fun to learn for us is clearly for both Chattanooga and, um, and, and South Georgia Tormenta as the pro team, their infrastructure, albeit we'll get into their, they were different. Uh, they both saw the ability and the need to have uh, a League Two team that definitely from a technical standpoint is a fantastic way for them to uh, be ahead of the game in finding not just perhaps from their own League Two team, but from all the other teams that they play, finding these college guys or these younger amateur players that could make a, an immediate step into the pro, pro team. Um, going forward, uh, we're, we're absolutely positive. We'll, we'll see more of that kind of um, pathway occur. Um, you know, I think it's one of those that as, uh, you know, the league continues to grow, um, I, th I think the independent ownership definitely see that ability uh, where, you know, again, whether they're connected to a youth club or not, um, again, the League Two team really can help the, the player path. But also, which I think we can get into a little bit later, the excitement on League Two where they can give an internship opportunity or a, a career starter opportunity on the front office side in League Two. And well, get into that. So why don't we go right into that then, and and you know talk to us a little bit about how you guys see USL League Two, not only in developing players but developing technical staff and front office staff, and at some level communities, right? So that that's something that you guys tout. So maybe can you take let, let's take the the player out of it and let's talk a little bit about those other three. You know, I I think. You call them something other than paths, but uh, why don't you talk to us about those three? Yeah, no, that that's fantastic, and I, I love talking about it. Um, a, it helps, really. It, it's celebrating our, our teams that do it so well. But uh, back when I was quickly explaining my, my um, trajectory here at USL or, or my path here, it really started when I was speaking with either prospective owners or learning more from current owners on, on what really the league is about and how to help these prospective owners you realize that the player path was fantastic, but it is not enough really, or it's not exactly what somebody getting into League Two nowadays wants. Um, it could be a youth club that, to be honest, uh, really, while they might think on the player side, they're already 
completely built into the community, right? I mean, whether they have 500 youth players or not. Um, so to, to kind of get into it, you know, we call them either four pillars, but really it's uh, the, the four paths that we talk about. And it's not all, you know, the, the same. Some of that is just uh, to try and have some continuity. But, you know, we've seen a to go into the coaching side of things, um, we've seen coaches step down from a pro rank to step into a really great uh, developmental opportunity in, in League Two and then step back up into into the pro pro side of things um, most recently. And I'm going to forget his name clearly on air, but um, the gentleman coaching the Des Moines Menace last year just got hired um, by, oh man, somebody at the uh, at the championship level. And now it's, it's going to pass me by. But <laughs> I, I hate to say that I focus so much on League One that I don't know who's uh, who's any of the coaches in the championship. <laughs> Oklahoma City Energy oh, okay. hired um, John Pascarella from Des Moines Menace. So it, it's a wonderful, uh, you know, and there are countless examples there. Um, obviously, when Tormenta moved up from from at the time PDL League Two, um, they they yeah, took their they took first John team McElroy coach say up there. That's Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, so that and then you know. I think on the ownership, or we call it executive side, those are kind of hybrids where it could be a full-on ownership, like we saw um, with with Tormenta, where you know they came in with an idea that they wanted to to become a pro a pro club, um, but they weren't positive and they were going to be happy if at the time PDL, but League Two was their home. Obviously, the opportunity happened and it was fantastic. So that'd be an ownership example, and you've seen that you know even with the Tucson side of things, you've seen it, um, you know, elsewhere um, even to the championship level where they skip league one. Um, obviously at the time, sometimes league one wasn't around, but then I think finally uh, the community is really both. It's the sandwich of everything, right? Without the community, again, going back to when we try and look for great league two markets or great league two ownerships, um, they need to be fully focused on the community from the beginning. Cause that's the lifeblood, whether it's your fans, whether it's your revenue generating sponsorship and commercial opportunities. But in the end, it, it's what we play this game for in many ways. Um, even players at the league two level, they want to feel like pros. So they want fans out there. They, in the middle of the week, they want to be going and, um, you know, having small camps and clinics with, with, you know, youth players and kids in the community. They want to be uh, interacting with partners and getting involved on the marketing side of the team. Um, and so that's where what we've learned is it's more of a holistic idea of what League Two is really about. And it was sort of a, a at the same time that we realized that needed to be promoted as a league so that we put some structure behind it. We realized as we uncovered the layers, teams were doing it already. We just needed to give it that national structure that, that a league body can do. Fair enough. So you mentioned, you know, and, and we talked a little bit about how South Georgia Tormenta was a PDL slash, you know, USL League Two team and now obviously in USL League One. Uh, but Asheville SC is joining USL League Two this season and they have an aspiration, like a stated goal, to eventually move up into USL League One. Do you think that there'll be more USL League Two teams that have that kind of aspiration, you know, build out a fan base and a culture, I guess, and and then you know spend the extra time and money to get a soccer-specific stadium and you know do all the other things that you need to do to be a League One team. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, obviously, uh, but for a few reasons, can't can't share any specific examples. But I can tell you now that uh, there is a multitude of current going into 2020 
lead to organizations or certainly markets that um, have both identified themselves and certainly the league is supporting or identified that prior um, to, to be a potential of, of League One or even possibly uh, championship. Um, I think the, you know, again, it doesn't have to happen in this pathway, but again, for certain communities or ownership groups, like we saw in Tormenta as a great model, um, it's, a, it's a wonderful way to introduce a much higher level of the game uh, to a community than maybe what they've seen in the past if they only have youth or, or even college. Um, but also, you know, again, for an ownership or it can take time to actually build a stadium where you're finding a, a current venue in League Two that meets the, the standards and, and you can build a fan base around. But then you can always have that kind of North Star, whether it be a development opportunity or whether it just be bringing pro soccer to a community uh, that, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're really excited about that prospect. And then do you think that there might be some folks going the other way? So, you know, we have this this we have a, a, another two side that's not an MLS two side in USL League One, and that is like FC Tucson. So, so um, you know, are we, uh, we going to look the other way? Like how many championship teams are, are also potentially, you know, looking at U23 sides? I mean, there's a lot of MLS teams that do. You know, one of the – I love – the chart that's on your website that shows okay new york red bulls have you know an mls team a usl championship team and as well as a league two team and and you know philadelphia union the same thing with their partnership with reading united right absolutely and and, yeah. and you know how much do you think that that's going to grow out where you'll have teams that have uh, or, or organizations i should say that have teams in multiple structures is that is that something going on more particularly like in the west coast where it doesn't seem to be as prevalent yeah, you know, and, and geographically, I, I think um, I, I wouldn't have any ins and outs on that. Um, but we, like you have seen, I mean, we've got over over 10 that either go multiple layers, like you've seen with, with uh, Red Bull at the MLS championship and, and then U23 League 2 level, or just a championship down all as well and, and having a, a U23 League 2 team. Um, it, it's absolutely going to continue to grow. There's... You know, there are some major things that we continue to look at, uh, at at a league level as to how League Two can become that much more potent for the player pathway that continues to grow. Obviously, we we launched and um, both announced and then launched USL Academy uh, in 2019. We'll, it will grow into that in 2020 and beyond. Um, so as and, we, and if you haven't heard, we did we interviewed Liam, the um, uh, the the director of USL Academy. So Jason interviewed him uh, in your podcast feed. Go back and please listen to that. Yeah, absolutely. I think in the end, going back to what we talked about, the the four paths or the four pillars, the player path is clearly from a need and from a growth and what the league can do value wise for the game of soccer. It's massive, but we are seeing all these other pillars becoming almost just as important um, or, or just as uh, prominent. So uh, I, I definitely think we're going to see a lot more, whether they be MLS or championship teams, certainly with some of the announcements we might be making later on this year, um, you know, see even more value that they can get out of uh, a League Two team. So when you look for communities to um, for launching USL League League Two. I imagine some of it is reverse inquiry. So people saying, "Hey, I'm interested in starting a team in our area. Does it fit?" Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Um, you know, but does the other happen too? Where where you say, "Look, this is an area that might be, you know, is underserved by soccer right now. You know, might not be able to support a professional team, but might be a great area for League Two. Do you ever do that and then go in and look for owners? Is that something that that the league tries to do? Yeah, and you know, going back to the first 
role I had specific with League Two, um, I, I can say even seeing all the growth we've had, and, and I, it, it's probably an equal mix. Um, I would like to think it's definitely geared even more to the league identifying markets um, and saying we would love a team there, right? Whether, you know, again, with all the levels USL works on, we might know that there's really qual- like strong youth presence um, or we might know the university coach because that university puts a lot of players in the league too, but they don't have a team. Um, you know, we, we actually had that opportunity a little bit happen with uh, South Bend Lions this year going into 2020. They'll be launching their League Two team. And again, you've got University of Notre Dame up there. Um, in our youth property, Super Y League, you've got some strong youth clubs that um, we're, we're looking to see how they could maybe work more together. And, and when you plop in a, a really strong both ownership group and in working with um, the, the different individuals in that community, I was approached uh, by an individual in the community. We had already done research and known that that's a great market. And then we actually had an even third party primary uh, owner reach out to us saying, where's a market that you think is valid, you know, valuable. Um, and I had already had that connection only a month earlier and we can, you know, connected everybody. And six months later we, we arrived at a team. So are there places like that? That seems like, like the perfect storm all hit at the same <laughs> yeah. time. Right. So, but, but are there places like, you know, I'm just going to, you know, but let's just say, uh, I'm literally going to make fun of this, but, uh, so, so, so you say, okay, Timbuktu is a great market. Um, where, uh, you know, what, what's your first point of contact? So you said you contact the college coach, you contact maybe the local, uh, local development Academy team, if there is one or, or ECNL team or whoever, super Y, I, I guess, team, uh, you know, to, director of coaching for the super Y uh, club that's in the area D- is that where you go in you go in and say hey these you know we're thinking about this do you know anyone who might be a good owner or, or would this be something that you think the community would support is that kind of how you go about uh with the expansion efforts in those areas you know i, I wish there was a, a perfect blueprint um but in a cool way i think what what uh exemplifies soccer um there's not a perfect blueprint but it could be absolutely what you just explained it could be going into certainly to potentially identify a local majority investor or owner um you, you can approach you know economic development you can approach somebody on the civic side mm-hmm. uh, certainly then if you, you know you might be able to tap into uh, a development in that community that even could have a, a small stadium or could have a larger stadium if the community also could even potentially be pro down the line. Um, I I would say for League Two, we have seen a a much stronger trajectory of uh, elite youth clubs that that are looking to add a first team to their club as they've grown financially and and, um, certainly just grown from the soccer side. uh, They're they're realizing that that benefit as well as a pathway from youth, amateur, pre-pro to pro grows more condensed and even clearer so there's no perfect answer there but. so i will spare you the the one question about uh about the u.s open cup and how that affects uh usl league too uh it's been talked about on this podcast before um but anything else that uh you know you'd, you'd like to say about usl league two and the upcoming 2020 season you know i i mean to be honest i i appreciate being able to come on and give a little insight about you know really how, how we the inner workings of 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 the league um certainly on some of the expansion front the excitement around 
continuing to be connected to our our pro leagues and and to be honest um in my role uh, you know we we really do focus on the relationships with our teams and uh, we couldn't be happier with where we're going in 2020 um obviously we had a wonderful year of the rebrand that i think was well received and educated the the entire landscape a lot better um and we couldn't be more proud of our teams and more excited for what they're going to do in 20 and definitely you know beyond that and for more on the USL League Two and the other U twenty three leagues, uh, BGN's Amateur Hour podcast would be a good place to start. I'd like to thank Joel Nash very much, VP of USL League Two. I don't even what's your official title. I don't even know. <laughs> VP of USL League Two and Super Y League. There you go. So. Okay. So thanks very much, Joel, for coming appreciate on. it. Been fun. Welcome back to League One Fun. We're still here at the United Soccer Coaches Convention today talking with Travis Clark of Top Drawer Soccer. Travis, thanks very much for coming on League One Fun. No no problem. My pleasure. So I was on your show last year propping all these like 20, you know, 20 to 23-year-olds uh, in USL League One who might move up. Some of them have. Um, you know, talk to me about how you've seen the pathway change since you started Top Drawer Soccer and, uh, you know, people, kids going from Development Academy or ECNL up to college ranks. And, and you know, it used to be the MLS draft was a big thing, but maybe now it's signing in USL Championship and USL League One instead. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I'm, it, you look at it from the simple perspective of, we know you talk about in America finishing college and getting a job right so the more jobs that are on the job market the better it is for graduates and for the players that are playing three four years you know usually the full four years of school the job market in MLS is shrinking but fortunately because of you know USL League One USL Championship there are opportunities that definitely did not exist I would say you go back five years ago even when obviously the USL was certainly relevant in that conversation but you're seeing it more now like sort of the hybrid approach where you have kids playing as amateurs when you know you look at even north texas sc which fields a lot of players from the fc dallas academy and are trying to figure out ways to get them into that mix at fc dallas and then on the flip side guys that either have their name called and don't sign or have their you know go undrafted and maybe have you know, they want to keep the dream alive, keep kicking. They can look for gigs now at you know several places that didn't exist a few, just even a few years ago. So talk to us here. You do rankings for a lot of players, both college as well as uh, you know high school age players. Um, what are you know? How do you how do you come up with those ratings? Is it you know how oh, quantitative? Can't, can't reveal our secrets, Ira. Well, just can't just, give away the secret just formula. In general, come on, Travis. No, <laughs> no. so so and, I'm just and describe, I'm just joking. Yeah, it's and describe a, what what you think those rankings are, are best used for by. So the rankings, uh, I did not start top door soccer. It was started by a guy named Rob Ziegler who came up with all of this, and I think the idea is originates from the like what you see for other major sports, right? Whether it's, uh, I don't know if they have like a baseball, but baseball, football, and basketball, obviously the latter two being the most important where, you know, there are huge companies, rivals, 24-7 sports that are predicated off of, well, it's not just rankings, it's like the recruiting game because that is Mm -hmm. such a huge part of college, of the the two big money-making college sports. So I think that was the general idea. And, you know, what we're trying to do is paint the best picture of who the best up-and-coming players are. And obviously, 
it's not a perfect science by any stretch of the imagination. There are thousands and thousands of players and only just a few of us doing this. Um, I'm actually not even the main rankings guy. We have a rankings editor, my colleague J.R. Eskelson. So, you know, the idea is then to... Well, I think it was more college-centric when it started. You know, we have since, especially in the boys' side, obviously, for the most part, women's, the top girls' recruits are not going to bypass college anytime soon, in my opinion. Uh, the idea is then, okay, who are the best players? And you can give people an idea of where they stand. Or even just player, you know, fans of the sport can kind of know who the up-and-coming players are to keep an eye on are, are you ever surprised by some of the players that come up like i know that you often watch the um the the, the championship and in, in npsl and usl league one and some of the college players that are going into um that, that are going into the college season uh, are you ever surprised by some of the uh, development that some players make during their early years of college is that is that something that that surprises you or do you think that you know by the time kids are 18 you kind of have an idea about what their ceiling could be yeah i think it's a little bit of both there aren't i mean i guess there haven't been a huge amount of like stunning surprise you know look i think most recent mls draft daryl dk is somebody that didn't play in the development academies from oklahoma and he went to the university of virginia right so you could even see the. That's good the recruiting on the University of Virginia's part, then, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so you could even see the the improvement that he made. I think he actually had a little bit of exposure, maybe like a. a he was involved in like preseason with the OKC Energy a little bit because he played for like a youth either a youth affiliate or they ran some teams out there. Anyway, so you could even see the improvement that he made. I think some players can use their environment and be self-motivating and even if they're playing college soccer for sure they can make the most of their that step up a level because it is a big step up even if it the gap between college and mls is pretty vast just think about how big that is then for like even the best up and coming 15 16 year old to then be expected to jump into mls and to make a contribution right. so you know these are it's a complicated thing developing people developing players is not an exact science and the more the more paths there are i think the better it is especially considering how inefficient soccer can be here so when how much soccer let's talk about the college game a little bit because obviously in usl league one a lot of the players like a vast preponderance of players end up being uh out of the college ranks either you know guys who are dropped and undrafted or um or, or just like there's a lot of guys from mercer university for example who keep signing for teams in usl league one i don't know you know it's it's crazy to think yeah it's you know it goes to coaching connections i'm sure that whether it's these coaches are recommending players to agents and the agents turn around and offer because there are agents then you know that are doing their work at the usl levels obviously there's not much money to be made but there's some money to be made from it like you know so it is a living and i think the other piece too could be you know just who is actually scouting are, are these organizations scouting probably not extensively but you know maybe they have a few eyes in the area players that are recommended or even if it's like a local program that they're being scouted by so right. you know it's a it's so many again so many factors yeah. so many pathways well when do you start watching the the college game seriously so when you you know is it is it when the tournament starts or is it a couple of weeks before i actually tell people that if they want to like scout you got to look at the whole thing and on, on, and if you want to see the better soccer it's played closer beginning middle you know maybe the middle of the season postseason 
you, you see it in it's any ugly. cup yeah, final. It's, it's, yeah. You see it in MLS playoffs. You see it in World Cups, right? It's attritional. It's win at all costs. It's, you know, obviously there are some teams around the world that buck that trend, but for the most part, like, it gets really ugly in the College Cup, in the final. Like, I would say that the with the national final this year with Virginia, for the men's side. Virginia Georgetown. Virginia Georgetown was, like, one of the best games I've ever seen because it was just like, whoa, that you never see that They both happen. played soccer, right? That they both played soccer for the most part. Obviously, soccer can be direct and not the prettiest, but they scored three goals each, which was like, whoa. <laughs> that was kind of the stunning. You expected one team to go up and other team to sit in, but there are a couple of individual mistakes, and I'm just I'm really curious to see what how some of the players from last fall in particular, where they end up, and, you know, the role that since, you know, this is a League One show, like, there are new teams, you know, Miami is jumping in, the Revolution are building up their roster more extensively than other they seem to have their act together, so I think that it should certainly help the league build out a little bit. Right. Um, when you when you go to places like the DA and ECNL showcases and stuff, um, you know, what, what's the reaction when people when you say you know people either see you wearing top drawer soccer gear or they you know recognize your voice or they, they ask say, me why what are you what are you doing and I tell <laughs> just send give me some money. No, I'm just kidding. I don't say that. No, you, you get positive conversations, and people always appreciate, tend to appreciate what we do. And I'm trying, you know, we're trying to shine a little more light on the game, even if you know it's a it's a business. Like it's, a, it's my job full time. I'm lucky to have it, but there's you know, you have to have some gratitude, and I think people people are usually very nice about it. Okay, that's great. And uh, of course, you also not only have the TopDrawerSoccer.com website, which I'm a proud subscriber of, by the way. And Thank you for and, your support. And suggest that you do. You have uh, great th- multi-year discounts and stuff like that. Um, but you also have a podcast. Um, how did you guys, you know, I know you weren't the original co-host of the podcast, but you know, how do you like podcasting? It's, you know, you, you have interviews every week. It's either you or you and Taylor, you and Daryl, or, or you interviewing someone from the U.S. soccer community. What, what do you think of your I, podcast I, career? My podcast career? Well, I didn't <laughs> expect it to happen. That's for, for starters. But I do think it's challenging, but also it can be rewarding because you can learn things. And some of the, the, the show, the, the guests we've had on our shows have been very uh, insightful. I can't remember. My mind's a little bit of a mush, puddle right now. <laughs> and I've, I've been talking a lot today, but I can't. I can't think of any specific names, but yeah. it's always it's always a pleasure to talk to Taylor, especially when you work from home and you get a little bit of a external interaction that <laughs> isn't a five or two year old or your wife. Not that I don't love them, but they. But it's nice to, talk, it's nice to get on the phone yeah. and talk to, with Taylor about soccer. Yeah, that, that's great. So, um, final question: Where can people connect with you? Uh, I, I am. You can obviously check out topdoorsoccer.com. We have a subscription discount for podcasts which we run on our other on our podcast but i will throw it out here for your <laughs> listeners so they would love to support us you can check us out there subscribe we do have plenty of content on our website top and you can find me on twitter at travis m clark great travis thanks very much appreciate you coming on league one fun no problem we're back from the united soccer coaches convention and we have a new guest, first-timer, 
I it am, is, aren't I? You wow. are. Taylor Rockwell from the Total Soccer Show joining League One Fun. Taylor, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me for my inaugural time. Yeah. I did not realize that, but it's good to be here. And as is my tradition, I spoke before being introduced. <laughs> well, we've been we've been going the other way. So I've been on Richmond Kickers Weekly, mm-hmm. and so I, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, you know how the soccer landscape in the U.S. has changed, mm-hmm. and from almost from a, a League One lower leagues perspective with the Richmond Kickers. So mm-hmm. you guys started your show nine years ago. Mm-hmm. But you were growing up a Richmond Kickers fan, right? I was, you, I was a water boy. You were Richmond Kickers water boy. Yeah. So, so what do you do as a water boy? Is, I, it's I not a ball just boy. Got to, like, think I was like a, a cool kid who was part of the team, even though I wasn't. <laughs> uh, no, I think I like I would volunteer at their camps, and so then I got to sit behind them and give them water, which was cool because that was when I got to see Onandi Lowe, who was a Jamaican international, play for them, and I think he. His record for the kickers, he, he was really weird. He played like like four months and then went to Turkey, but he had like 20 goals in 10 games. And that was the same season that Dwayne DiRosario played for the Richmond oh, Kickers, wow. which was yeah. also pretty solid in terms of the quality on display. Yeah. So how would you describe, you know, your, your personal experience mm-hmm. that you obviously you're completely ingratiated in the U.S. soccer community now. You don't think you're a celebrity, but you are. I, I do uh, not. <laughs> so, I absolutely do not. Well, w- w- within your small little world of, of U.S. soccer, you are, okay? Yeah, I, I am a celebrity to myself. Yes, that is true. Yes, just to Well, me. if I think you're a celebrity, <laughs> you, you are. That's, I'll, I'll give you that moniker. Um, you know, how did, how did having a local, mm-hmm. you know, uber-local, hyper-local soccer team in your community mm-hmm help you kind of fall in love with the game and stick with it where now you're you know you have one of the largest podcasts uh soccer related podcasts in the country man you know that's a really interesting question because it's not one i had considered until this very moment but you're absolutely right it was very instrumental because it was before mls when i started going to richmond kickers games 95 is when they won the the title US and Open they had like Richie yeah. williams and people like that in there uh so I think just being able to go and know that there was a team that was going to be there, and that is a, a blessing with the Richmond Kickers, that I believe they're the longest continually operating franchise. By one so. day over the, the Charleston Battery. <laughs> they tend to leave that out when they mention it. Um, they, they like to make it sound like it's much, much longer than <laughs> Charleston Battery's uh, record. But yeah, it, I think having them there and knowing that they were sort of an ever-present fixture allows you, as a kid, to be able to go to games, and if you're not paying attention, maybe you're... Maybe you're, you know, going with your your seventh grade girlfriend. I did that. Uh, maybe you're running around and playing soccer and rolling down the big hill there. But you're you're sort of in the game. You're in the atmosphere of it and experiencing it that way. It definitely like gives off that kind of positive vibe that makes you connect to it long term. And it probably is why I still have an affinity for the kickers and for soccer in general. Right. So after you graduated college, so mm-hmm. so you played in in some of the. Um, it, in the the youth leagues and, mm-hmm. and the uh, the youth system around yep. the kickers, right? And then you went... You well, kick, so, weirdly, strange, this is how old I am, I'm showing my age, the kickers as a club youth team didn't exist when I was playing. They only came into existence when I was probably 16 or 17, I think is when they first started to have youth teams. So I played for FC Richmond, who have oh, since okay. kind of shrunk in size as the kickers and Richmond strikers have taken over, merged, now we have Richmond United. Uh, but yeah, I was playing in and around the kickers uh, for most of my life. Fair yeah. enough. And then you played you played in college, right? Mm-hmm. You played... Uh, I, I was I sat the bench in college, yes. Okay, I, I, <laughs> I know that feeling uh, myself. So, yeah. So, so you, um, you know, you were on the team in college, mm-hmm. and then afterward, you know, you had a little bit of a gap between mm-hmm. doing something soccer-related again, right? Um, yeah, so. yeah. And, and it's it, it was uh, very anxiety-inducing, because I, I was one of those who was, like, sure that I was going to leave college and knew exactly what I was going to want to do and have a job, and was never going to move home, and I moved immediately home uh, after college. And it was, t- like, tough to do that and tough to sort of 
like get a nine to five job and I would like listen to sports radio or, or read ESPN and be like, but I'm still going to do that. I'm still going to find a way. And it was sort of depressing in those moments to feel like I was really far away from making that happen. And so I'm really uh, grateful to Daryl, uh, my co-host, who was the one who first uh, asked me to write about soccer uh, for the Red, uh, the Red Devils blog, uh, yeah. The Offside. And then he was the one who came up with the idea for, do you want to start a radio show in Richmond? And we did it that way. But yeah, there was, there was a gap in there when soccer was on my mind, but maybe not a thing that I was able to talk about professionally. Sure. So let's, let's talk about the progression of soccer sure. over the last 11 years since you started that original radio mm-hmm. show in 2009. So back then, USL was contracting, right? The mm-hmm. kickers were still around, but, yeah. but they had less and less teams to play against. Yep. Major League Soccer had just started kind of its re-expansion mm-hmm. after nearly folding in 2002, yeah. 2003 timeframe. Um, and uh, you had a couple of expansion teams coming in and, and the league was starting to grow. Talk a little bit about what you've seen over the last decade about the growth in soccer, both at the professional level and, you know, maybe just general interest, right? So, um, you know, you guys, I know, talked on your uh, Ask Me Anything show about how, you know, 2014 was kind of when you guys Mm -hmm. went full time and and you you started to uh, put out uh, shows every day. But... But obviously, this underlying soccer landscape also changed during that five-year mm-hmm. period from 2009 to 2014. Can you describe yeah, how that yeah. I mean, I maybe think, helped you? I think the, the biggest thing that changed for me was just the way that you could watch soccer, the number of opportunities, the number of avenues. Because I think there was what, like there was Fox Soccer Channel, uh, and then there was, I forget, like Satanta like, maybe was in there somewhere. But you would always have to kind of look around to figure out which games were going to be on TV and when and how you could watch them. Do I have to go to a bar? Can I watch it at home? And I think the availability of soccer, streaming, NBC Sports taking over the Premier League, lots of other op- options made it so that it was much more accessible and a thing that was much more readily available so then it becomes much easier to talk about. And then with Major League Soccer's expansion and just sort of how much more attention it has gotten, still still not you know like, like the biggest league in the country, but with the uh, rise of expansion fees and uh, clubs like Atlanta United sort of bringing in the entire community of Atlanta, at least it seems that way, and sort of the way... Major League Soccer has embraced the individual like soccer landscapes of their respective cities. It's been very fascinating to watch, and it also creates these these situations. Like we were at the Independent Supporters Council get together last night, and just to see all of these different people all wearing different jerseys, but all in one location, all caring about their team is is not a thing that existed 10, 15 years ago, and it's a pretty amazing change. So. Let, if, so you mentioned how you know how accessible soccer is now, mm-hmm. and with like ESPN Plus having all the USL games are on ESPN Plus, you can now get FA games. Yep. Do you think that maybe at some point there could be an oversaturation? Because one of the things when you're a U.S. soccer fan, right, a fan of, of American soccer and want to see the sport grow here, yeah. is you have a lot of people who say, like, the quality of Major League Soccer isn't as good, so I'm only going to watch, you know, uh, it's not very good, so I'm just going to watch, you know, the Premier League, for yeah. example, or Bundesliga or something like that. Um, you know, do, do you think that, that having almost you know, too much globalization of soccer is potentially hurting the U.S. soccer landscape or is there, um, I think, I or, think or, or is there the possibility? I mean, I know for me, mm-hmm. like I support a Premier League team, I support an MLS team and I podcast about USL League One, right? Yeah. And I don't see any problem with that and I don't think that they overlap and that there's, there's no issues. But, um, but at the same time, I can understand how some people say, well, I don't have, you know, 20 hours a week to watch yeah. soccer like you might. 
But like, I also feel like that's the equivalent of saying like, like the, these movies didn't win the Oscar, so I'm not going to watch them. Like, if you're well, only, Citizen Kane didn't win the Oscar. <laughs> but like, if you're only watching the best possible thing, then you're only going to be watching the best possible thing. And I guess I get that. But to say like Major League Soccer's quality isn't as good as the Premier League's, like, yeah. Like, no duh. So if that's what you're looking for, I think that, that you're sort of already setting yourself up to only watch one little, like, niche league, one little niche league that's the biggest in the world. Um, but, like, I think it then misses the the culture of the different teams or, like, the individuality of some of the MLS franchises. And then looking at USL and the way those teams, again, have had to kind of focus on the hyperlocal in order to survive and the way they've done that, sort of the off-field narratives at least for me, are as engaging as what the team is doing on the field. And so to sort of get background and learn about them from podcasts like yours, uh, specifically yours, um, (laughs) is a good way to sort of understand what those clubs are doing and how they're operating, and it makes it more engaging then. It's the equivalent of, like, betting on a game, and then you're sort of like, now you have a vested interest when you didn't otherwise. When you know more about them, when you know more about the teams, it then makes you want to care about them more and stay invested in them. So I think... Maybe there's maybe there is saturation, but I am very happy with that saturation for that, sure. That, that's great. And so, so final question: Where do you think that you know that your show's going? You have Top mm-hmm. Door Soccer Show that you know mm-hmm. I just listened to you record with uh, <laughs> Travis Clark about the NWSL draft um, with uh, the Athletic. Where do you think you know Total Soccer Show brand mm-hmm. is is headed toward in, in the future, uh, especially with your uh, your your new partnership with the Athletic? Yeah. Um, we, we used to get that question a lot, and we never really had an answer because it's just like, we're just we're going to do a podcast? I don't know. But I do think like the partnership with The Athletic is, is really exciting for us. It gives us a bit more stability. It gives us a bit more reach. Um, and I think long term, what we'll then end up doing is, is trying to launch some more shows. We've got one coming up with uh, Jordan Angeli and Joe Lowry. They're going to be doing MLS tactical breakdowns of uh, various games, various teams. Uh, we have soccer not not USL championship. Doesn't Joe? Doesn't Joe do everything? Not, Phoenix uh, rising. Man, I'm not trying to step on your toe. I guess you guys are League One, so we can do that. One. We can do that one. Otherwise, yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying to go up against against the goat over here. Um, but I think we'll 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 keep trying to launch uh, different sorts of podcasts. I think is what we'll we'll hope to do and hope to sort of like spread the wealth a little bit and and maybe help finance some shows. I think would be our goal. Our, our budget is very limited, uh, but. I think having podcasted for free for seven years and not seen a dime of it, I think it's a labor of love for sure. But if we can help people make a little bit of money doing that, then that's a thing we're definitely interested in doing. That's great. That's Taylor Rockwell from the Total Soccer Show. Taylor, thanks for coming on League One Thank you Fun. for having me. It's been great. Welcome back to League One Fun. We have the other half of the Total Soccer yeah. Show with us now. Daryl Grove, who's a, uh, I don't know, we, you know, I, I went to University of Birmingham. You went to the University of Birmingham. Yeah. But you're you're not a Brummie, though. So no, I'm from the, the black country. The, yeah. So the, so describe where you grew up in. Uh, you, you follow Wolverhampton Wanderers. That's yep. your team. Everyone calls it Wolves, but they're really yeah. the Wanderers. They are. Know. But even Wolves fans call it, they, we call ourselves Wolves. The, the Wolves, yeah. okay. We're just, we're just not the Wolverhampton Wolves, which ah, is the big gotcha. uh, mistake. That's what everyone make. does. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, very very important, right, if you're a Premier League uh, s- supporter. Um, 
But but you didn't actually grow up in Wolverhampton proper, right? You grew no. up in, in one of the suburbs? Yeah, so I'm from like, not really a suburb, but like a smallish town between Wolverhampton and Birmingham. Okay. Suburbs makes it sound nicer than it was. Right, so not Sully <laughs> Hall or one of those no. areas. See, I'm, I'm getting really geeking out on my, my Birmingham connection. Um, and so, so I did a postgraduate at the University of Birmingham uh, in international studies, and I finished in 1994. Okay. And when did you start? So I did my undergraduate there from 98 to 2001. Okay, so you're a kid. I get it. <laughs> uh, you know, way younger than me. Um, after after you finished at Birmingham, uh, did you come immediately to the States? Or what was no, your progression? I went yeah. to, um, do you remember the uh, the car factory at Long I Ridge? do, yeah, yeah. Right, well, so, well, well so, so Birmingham was known for a couple of things. The Cadbury factory was the yeah. big one that everyone knew. But yeah, they also had the car car factory. Yeah. So yeah, Rover was the, Rover, the yeah. make. Uh, by the time I was there, it was BMW because they were making the Mini there. Um, so just between undergraduate and postgraduate, I went and did one year in the car factory because my brother worked there, so he could get me a uh. job there. And like for a not not a graduate job, but like a short term job, it paid really well, right? Okay. Um, you know, because strong unions like good wages. <laughs> so yeah, had a good a good year there, made some money, and then went to Dublin to do my postgrad in Ireland. Okay. And then gotcha. to the States after that. And then you came here, right? Yeah. And I know you came here for love, you know, we Yeah. That's we'll, what again, I met my wife in Ireland. Again, yeah. listen to their AMA on uh, that that came out uh, <laughs> while on their way to the United Soccer Coaches Convention. You'll find out all about the personal lives of Daryl Grove and Taylor Rockwell. Too much, maybe too uh, much. Right? Yeah, may, maybe. It, it's it's you know what what's funny? So so let's talk a little bit about being a podcaster. So, okay. you know, obviously you and I have connected over the last 7 years because I became a listener in, in 2013 um, was one of the first people I think to sign up for the um, the scouting network yeah. when you were talking about going full time and doing this as as a living, but um, but how strange is it when people come up to you and and they they feel like they know you because they've yeah. listened to you on the radio for so long. So yeah, this is the third year we're at the convention. The first year at the convention in 2018 at in Philadelphia, right? In Philadelphia yeah. was the first time we experienced that, and it's it's just amazing to like to to see that it's a real person who's listened to the show <laughs> and comes and, and knows things about you. It's, it's a great feeling, obviously, but it's also you're at a disadvantage because you know this person knows quite a lot about you, but you know nothing much about them unless they've emailed or, or tweeted right. us or something. Yeah. We, we're, we're starting from zero you, with them. You might, you might know who they scout in the scouting network. Right, That's yeah. <laughs> That's, that might be about it. Um, so talk a little bit about when you first came to the States. And you know, I know now from your AMA that you, know, you started playing football when you were 10. And, uh, but when you came to the States, you know, what was your first impression of the football culture here in the U.S.? Actually, my first thing, specifically in Richmond, Virginia, which is where I landed, um, there was this really strong league, which I was just—I didn't research it before I, before we moved there. Meaning, you, you mean adult league? Like adult a, league, a, yeah. Adult league, yeah. This really strong adult league that I could play in with like ten divisions and a hundred teams, and yeah, I really just landed lucky. And it's like center ref, uh, two assistant referees, like everything really nicely organized. So all that was great from an amateur level. Um, from a professional level, we had the Richmond Kickers, obviously, uh, in town. And then I think I started watching for the first time ever. I started watching Major League Soccer on television. Um, I think. DC United on like my local Comcast network right. is what I was watching. And I remember literally watching a game to watch Freddie Adu. Oh. That was the only <laughs> name that I knew. <laughs> of course. Right? Yeah. And this is young, young Freddie Adu, right? Like 2005, yeah, yeah. this yeah. is very young Freddie Adu. Well, he only 
played there for two seasons, I think. Yeah, right? so, exactly. Yeah. So, so did, did you did you gravitate toward the kickers when you came because you were you know just a football uh, a football fan and um, or was it mostly you know mostly the the Sunday league kind of adult league that. It that was, kept your involvement in, in soccer? Um, to begin with, more of the adult league stuff, just because that's, that's literally how I made friends. That's how I know Taylor, is through playing um, playing that stuff. Because I didn't know anybody except my wife when I right. moved to Richmond. So that was my way to socialize and make friends. So I put a, a lot of time into it, not just because it was the only social circle I had, but also because you know, I like playing soccer. <laughs> um, and then a lot of those guys would also go to kickers games, right? So it would be like an extension of that would be to go and Ah, gotcha. So, go so that got you into, into kickers games. So so what was your impression when you first walked into City Stadium, you watched the kickers play, you watched, you know, Coach Crenshaw, you know, coaching the team. Kalashaw, Lee Kalashaw. Kalashaw, sorry, yeah. Lee Kalashaw. Um, how did that, um, how was that different than when you, um, you know, went into your local, your local, I, I don't even know, were they a non-league club or, um, you know. Oh, where I'm from? Yeah, where yeah, you're from, We yeah. have a Hales in town who yeah. are in the seventh or eighth tier <laughs> right. of English football. They get about 600 fans right. uh, per game. Yeah, so um, was it significantly different from the few times you may have gotten to them instead of Wolverhampton? Or? Uh, yeah, I mean, the kickers are definitely better than Hales in town. They would okay. beat them comfortably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that well, that's interesting yeah. to hear. Yeah. Um, but but what was your what was your impression of the supporters culture when you first arrived and first went to your first kickers game versus you know maybe now doing Richmond Kickers Weekly for yeah. uh, for your podcast? Actually, the big things that the big thing that's changed is the uh, River City Red Army. Um, so that didn't exist uh, oh, back, back okay. in the day. A lot of those guys who are very like hardcore kickers fans, I'm guessing it's because they've since had kids and maybe don't uh, can't get away as much. A lot of them were DC United fans, so a lot of their sort of um, really passionate support was spent going up 95 to watch DC, and the guys at the, kick, the guys and everybody at the kickers games were families. It's a lot. It was a very family atmosphere. I think somewhat deliberately that's the atmosphere and the uh, the, the crowd they cultivated. Right. So there's a lot of entire families watching, and it was a very quite quiet experience. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, there were cheers when they scored, but it wasn't sure. rowdy at all. Right. Um, so the big change between when I first went in 2005 to now is now you have got this loud group with drums and smoke and uh, that very uh, like loud uh, supporter culture. Sure. Yeah. And so so we've now filled out for the first time the U.S. soccer pyramid, right? Having, yeah. um, if you want to call it fourth division with League Two and, and NPSL. And now you're going to have two third division leagues, right? With NISA as well as USL League, League One, yeah. which obviously, you know, you're on League One fun right now. So you clearly know that that's our interest. You know, do, do you think that that progression and that filling out of the pyramid is you know what kind of effect do you think that that's going to have going forward on uh on football culture in the u.s so there's a really basic thing where i think more teams is better right always more teams is better because there's towns that didn't have teams that now have teams and people can go and watch professional soccer or semi-professional soccer or at least competitive soccer in their city right the thing that worries me a little bit is the I don't know what you call it, the sideways filling out. Um, and the idea of like League One, what, only had 10 teams last year? Right. It's going to have, what, 12? 12 this year, um, that's right. In 2020. But now it's going to have a competitor division at the same level in NISA, right? And I theoretically love the idea of NISA, but I don't like the idea of us going back to um, two leagues competing against each other. Because I think, in the end, nobody wins with that yeah. kind of stuff, right? Well, I, so, so I'm going to editorialize here a little yeah. bit. Uh, you know, I think that in that regard... 
it, you know, I think Nice is fine, and I think the teams need to be in different geographic locations. So, like, if you're, you know, Chattanooga is the interesting kind of case study in this, where Chattanooga FC is going to be in Nisa, and uh, whereas Chattanooga Red Wolves are obviously in USL League One. Yeah. Um, but but when there's another another professional team, like if you're going into a, an area, like if someone goes to Boise, Idaho, and starts a Nisa team, um, you know, that team should be able to decide you know, which league best fits their needs, right? And, yeah. and ultimately, I hope the fans will support local soccer and just support that team, regardless of what league they play and who cares. Um, I mean, that, that's my personal opinion. So I'm not, you know, pro, I'm not for or against Nisa. I'm not for or against League One. It's more, you know, support your local team and yeah. let the ownership and the coaches but, figure out where best they should compete. In, but what if you're in league. Chattanooga? And someone says well, support your is, local team. Yeah. What, what do you do? Well, so this is an issue, yeah, and we can, you know, we need to talk about that because, you know, it seems like Chattanooga FC probably had every opportunity to play in League One, but for whatever reason, they didn't want to, right? Yeah. So that, so therefore, League One, when they found an owner willing to put a team in Chattanooga, they said yes, and I think they knew it was a viable yeah, market. So, so, so I think that that's something that hopefully we'll be able to avoid in the future. But, um, but then again, you know, there there was going to be a competing team in Nisa that was going to be in Philadelphia and the Philadelphia right. obviously have a union that have you know their own soccer specific stadium of course the stadium's not downtown the stadium's in Chester it's 20 miles away but nonetheless it's a you know they have a very vibrant fan base there yeah so, and a um, nice view of the river yeah a very nice view of the river so <laughs> um, so anyway uh, so Richmond Kickers Weekly you know thanks for having me on the show yeah, a couple of, of times yeah happy to do that again as well um, you know what? What did you think about the level of play, and, and what are your you know your hopes for the kickers this season? So it was weird, like watching the kickers last year. Um, there was some very nice passing, but it didn't penetrate enough. I think is the very basic um, analysis of what the kickers were doing last year. Um, and from what we've heard from the new coach Darren Sawatsky, it's going to be a bit more um, whatever it takes to win, right? So there's not like a commitment to a philosophy and a style. And that's just what we're committed to, and we just do that until we get good enough at doing that to win games. It's it sounds like it'll be more like, all right, if this game needs us to go, go direct and have a, a big man knock it down for someone to run onto, then that's what we do. Right. Um, so I'm kind of excited in a weird way because the kickers haven't had a, a winning season in a good long while, right? It's been at least three years, maybe more. Yeah, it's been three or four. Yeah, three or four years. Yeah, um, I'm excited to see um, if uh, new coach Sawatsky. Swatsky uh, does what he promises, and the kickers are just competitive no matter what. Right. Um, I'll, that'll be an interesting experience because it's it, been so long. It'll be interesting to see how Darren operates because I think, you know, obviously at FC Tucson, maybe there were some frustrations with when he was loaned down players from uh, from Phoenix Rising and said, yeah. you know, you have to play these guys. When he's like, well, I've only had these guys for, I only get these guys for one training session before we play, right? So it'll be interesting to see how he as a coach develops having built a roster around what what he wants to do and yeah. has those same players week after week instead of ro people rotating in and out of his roster without yeah. Uh, knowing. So Yeah, so the record at Tucson wasn't good, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think what you just talked about, the, the up and down with Phoenix, is probably the reason. I know that was a, a frustration. Um, but I've also I've just heard because he, he was with the Seattle Seattle's Academy Seattle's right. under 23s I yep. think at some point that's right yeah um, and just he uh, helped Jordan Morris right he was Jordan right. Morris's coach for a little while so and, I've just and, heard yeah. good things about 
Coach Sawatsky from people who were out there. So uh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited just based on what I've heard. Well, that's great. So, um, so you're you're covering uh, you know EPL right now, but yeah. pretty soon you'll be back into covering Major League Soccer and yeah. as well as uh, as well as the rest of the the soccer pyramid in the U.S. Um, you know, if people want to get in touch with you guys, you know, what's the best way to do that? Uh, probably Twitter's a good place. Uh, just at Total Soccer Show. You can always go to our website totalsoccershow.com. There's a contact form on there um, to send us an email. Um, I guess the thing we want everyone to do is listen, right? So yeah. you find us uh, wherever you get your podcast, search for Total Soccer Show, and we'll be there. Not only the Total Soccer Show, though, you have another show that um, you know I use, I'm going to re-listen to, actually, before the League One season starts, because Soccer 101 yeah. also has How to Watch a Game for Tactics. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's a great episode that I'm going to re-listen to to remind myself you know, how I should do it. So th- how did the... It, I, I know, another tangent, and I was, <laughs> I was about to finish our conversation, but how do... Uh, how did you come up with the idea, you and Taylor, for Soccer 101? So it mostly came from, um, we get um, listener questions about some of these things, like what is a Penenka, right? right? And we'd answer the listener question, and then a year later, we'd get the same question. And we couldn't just say, hey, go back and listen to this episode from a year ago. Sometimes we didn't even know where that episode was. So we kind of thought, instead of, because a lot of what we do is timely, right? Like it's sure. a review of a game that just happened, but some stuff is timeless. So we sort of thought, let's get all the timeless content and have it as one show, right? And then it, hopefully it becomes a resource where if you want the answers to certain questions, they should eventually all be in this all be in this feed. I have to say, I was very disappointed when you didn't resurrect your answer to my question about Johan Cruyff's legacy and you redid the whole show. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, hopefully we expanded it more, right? I'm kidding. Yeah, it's no, 100%. Hey, Daryl Grove from the Total Soccer Show and Soccer 101. Thanks very much for being on uh, League One Fun. Ira Jersey from League One Fun. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Jason can be found at Home Sweet Soccer on Twitter. I can be found at Ira Jersey. And you can connect with the show at League One Fun. That's League, the number one fun. Thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier of Major League Soccer, United Soccer Leagues, and U.S. Soccer. Get your custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Until next time, hashtag support local soccer.